1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
2: On Sunday at Lord's, England will play their first men's cricket World Cup final for 27 years and their first live match on free-to-air television since 2005. Speaking after the thrashing of Australia at Edgbaston, Owen Morgan admitted the prospect of playing in a World Cup final seemed laughable following their abject performance four years ago. Now they are just one victory away from a first World Cup title. Standing in their way are Kane Williamson's dogged New Zealand side, the beaten finalists four years ago in Melbourne, who broke Indian hearts in the semi-finals. Like England, the Kiwis have never lifted the trophy. Something has got to give on Sunday. Welcome to the Wisden Cricket Daily Podcast World Cup Final Preview in partnership with Travel Bag, creating holidays packed for memories since 1979. I'm your host, Joe Harmon. Uh, later in the show, we'll be hearing from Kiwi reporter Andrew Alderson, who tells me World Cup fever is gripping New Zealand. But first, joining me on this sunny afternoon at the Oval is Daniel Norcross of Test Match Special Fame. Hello, Dan.
3: Hello, Joe. It's lovely to be back.
2: And for the first time on the show, I'm delighted to be joined by the Independence chief sports writer and new dad, Jonathan Liu.
1: Hi, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Hi. How's it going?
2: Good, good. Uh, how's it been juggling a World Cup and a, and a new daughter?
1: Um, it, it's weird. I've, I've actually covered very little of the world cup but i've seen a huge amount because when she's um baby asteroid is kind of pinned to your to your to your knees you know and you're sitting on the sofa and you can't move the only thing to do really is watch um, eight hours of cricket so <laughs> i've seen that that pepe's advert probably about 200 times now and now um, they've
2: got a bit of free extra advertising as well so it's, oh all, yeah. it's all paying off for pepe's if you want to
1: send some through to uh to stockwell by all <laughs> means anyone from pepe's listening I'm sure, is I'm sure
2: they're all tuning in um so yesterday was kind of extraordinary. England mm. produced the the perfect performance pretty much when when they needed to. I'm still kind of coming down from <laughs> it a bit really. Uh that that what it was. It was the perfect it performance. Everything they tried pretty much came off, didn't it? Was, it
3: was it was absolutely extraordinary. They 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 found the corporeal form of Australian cricket and slaughtered it and then they took out the meat from the bones and minced it. And then stuck it in a, a very English pie, like a cottage pie, and then feasted on it with English condiments such as HP sauce and mustard. And uh, it was the most English day of all possible days. There was nothing. There was nothing for Australia to get any kind of pleasure from at all. Uh, their best batsmen laboured over a, what looked an important, but in the end was pointlessly futile. 86, uh, and they then, got nutmegged. And they got nutmegged in rather humiliating fashion as the ball. I think, may have slightly clipped his groin on the way through to the stumps, possibly slowing him down by the fraction of an inch that was required to see him humiliatingly depart the scene. Um, Their most exciting new prospect of this tournament, Alex Carey, got smashed in the face and was bleeding all over the pitch. I mean, it was, that was sort of reminiscent of Ponting and Harmison, wasn't it? A little mm. bit of 2005. And it was so unexpected, really. I mean, I d- I don't know whether it was a toss. I don't know what Jonathan thinks. I don't know whether the pitch might have had just a little bit more bite in it and it was a good toss to lose because the received wisdom was that you're going to bat first Morgan at this stage of the tournament. Have, I would have batted as well. But actually England's bowlers looked like they got a little bit more response on the pitch at that time of day than Australia did later on.
0: It's,
1: it's weird to think that kind of yesterday morning, as, as an England fan, like all England fans, I felt really nervous about it, mm. especially when Australia won the toss and batted. As, as it turned out, it it feels like it was one of the better wickets in the tournament to chase on uh because there was a lot of movement out there at about 10 30 and there wasn't so much at 2:30. and and yeah i think i think dan makes quite a good point it's it felt a really english day and uh in the column that i'm about to file and, and almost certainly almost finished uh for the Wisden cricket monthly uh I, I was talking i'm going to talk about how it's it's felt like a very global it's not felt like an english tournament they've tried sort of little sort of accoutrements at the ground but whether you're watching on telly or you're in the ground, it, it felt like a global tournament, especially the, the multicultural nature of, of a lot of the crowds. Yesterday felt like the first proper English day, and it, it, it felt like England's tournament for the first time. I don't know whether that's a that's a portent or, or a positive omen, or but you know, with the songs in the in the crowd, the kind of the football style chanting, yeah, it felt like an English World Cup in, in a way that it hadn't really.
2: When you were watching on the sofa with your new baby, as England lost a couple of games in succession, were you did you feel like this was heading towards a calamitous end or did you have faith that england would pull it back because it's not just that victory yesterday if you see this as part of a part of a trio with the win against india the part of music the win against new zealand and then uh against australia three extraordinary performances to pull out under pressure in the way that they have
1: yeah i mean one of the things about covering lots of different sports is you you get acquainted with lots of different flavors of english world cup disaster and uh you know whether it's football or rugby union or rugby league or uh or even the, the world cup of darts which uh in which england once got knocked out in the second round by spain this is this oh my word phil taylor I know that. if there's one sport you expect england to win a world cup in, it is phil taylor and and james wade world's number one and two uh and they lost to a pair of spanish amateurs one of whom was was nicknamed el dartador <laughs> 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 he's actually not bad he's uh, he's become a process he's, he's pretty good but you 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 get used to england screwing these up and you kind of recognize you, you recognize the the sign. you can read the runes and had this been a regular world cup tournament six or seven game pool stage that's how it would have ended but in fact the elongated nature of the group stage allowed them to have a big dip and then build up their momentum again. And so here we are.
2: And uh, you wrote um, that only in the Cricket World Cup could a, could a player tear his hamstring and recover and come back to play a lead role in the tournament. And that's obviously Jason Roy has done that and uh, was just incredible yesterday, wasn't he? Because that, that he, yeah. he started in quite a measured way. We were saying this before the start. 50 for none after 10 overs is actually quite slow by England standards. Uh, and then having settled himself in, just launched himself at the spinners, didn't he? They're
3: never 50 for none. They're, they're either you know, 35 for four or they're... 75 for none so it was almost like they found plan c and they bypassed plan b which was completely useless and went straight for plan c which is what everybody's been after and it was it was really measured it was really clever batting that first 10 overs when you've got a target of 224 especially with you know these white kookaburra balls and against stark and cummins and berendorf that's the threat you know, Stoyness and Lyon were unlikely to be the threat. So they recognised that threat and at the same time put away what were a few bad balls. I mean, they, they drove, as they always do, gloriously through the covers and managed to thread the half volleys through the covers. That was all fine. But it was the fact that they didn't go ballistic. They didn't lose their shape. They didn't lose their mm. sense of, of proportion of what was required. And then once they got to 50 for none, it, all the tension sort of fell out of the game, didn't it? And that was, I think, what was the most... We talk about it being an English day and, that, and it was in all those sorts of ways. And, you know, the World Cup for me has been about Pakistan and Bangladesh and Indian fans and who have made the games raucous and different and have a different noise to them. But what was really un-English about yesterday was they won a semi-final at a canter with 107 balls to spare. There was no drama. There was no, oh, my words, you know, edge of your seat stuff. It wasn't just that they won it. It was that it was a game that every England fan feels that they deserve. that They probably don't really want deep down. They like the drama. They like the lucky losing or something that,
2: a bit unsettling about well it about it, it <laughs> was <laughs>
3: unsettling you know what halfway I'll tell you now that in the commentary boxes uh, people like Michael Vaughan every, everybody really was saying 250 will be really hard and when they kept them to 223 as well that's England are on top but mm. that first 10 overs could be crucial and, and it just maybe the first 10 overs were crucial and England just batted really well but it didn't it felt like they could have chased 300
1: yeah it was too perfect I don't want to be kind of down downer McGee here but there were kind of shades of 2004 Champions Trophy semi-final and the the suspicion is that they're going to get Ian Bradshaw big time on Sunday So
2: who's, who's the Ian Bradshaw? That's what kind of a, a Matt Henry coming in at number 9 for New Zealand. Mitchell yeah,
1: maybe Yeah, so it, it's all it's really yeah. all set up for Santner to win it with 43 off 70 balls <laughs>
2: Yeah, so well I, I don't think New Zealand will be pushed over in the way that Australia were. New Zealand have come out on top in f- what four really close games which they easily could have lost they've won uh they're pretty dogged outfit uh and Kane Williamson is going to take some some shifting even if the openers might not
3: well that's true and Lords is different as well I don't know if Lords suits England's bowlers as well as Edgbaston does I think there's a little bit there that, that could be tricky I'm not sure now I'll be rather confused after what happened to Edgbaston if they win the toss are going to bat are you going to bowl? I mean what what, what do you do? At uh, Lords it's always this look up look down yeah. um, business. I don't think anybody knows. I think it would probably be preferable for Owen Morgan if he lost the toss again and let Jones take it out of his hands, yeah.
2: Yeah. Um I wanted to look at a couple of the match-ups, the big match-up was one obviously the, the I suppose the big comparison is Root v Williamson, the two number 3s, the two premier batsmen in each team. Who I yeah, so Williamson scored 548 runs in this tournament. Root scored 549. They've gone about in very different ways because of the team they've they've got around them. And so the last time Root, the last four times Root has walked out to bat after the Roy Versdoe partnership has been broken, the scores read 128, 160, 123, and 124. The last four times Williamson's walked out to bat, the scores read 29, twenty-nine, two, and one. I mean, he might as well be opening the batting. In, he is. In this I, mean, side.
1: I don't think he's come in after the tenth over all tournament. I, d- I, th- I, was, I was looking it up for a piece on on tuesday i think i think well, it was the sri
2: lanka game they had a decent opening partnership in that but maybe that was i don't I think he didn't come in did he didn't i know in they won the by, ten, by ten, 10 wickets they it won by 10 yeah. wickets of course yeah uh
1: and three times he's had to come in in the first over and against india i think it was a third over he's, he is essentially their opener and and i think his strike rate for the tournament is something like 77 which is kind of very michael bevan 1999 it's World, World, World Cup style yeah thing, it's jonathan trot yeah. um and that, that's the role that, that he's been he's, you know, been forced to play. Whether the rest of his teammates have it in him to to actually give him a proper platform for once, you might actually get to see, you know, some of the, the free flowing Kane Williams that we see in, in the IPL. But it's interesting that he's you know, we've not really seen everything that he can do and yet he has been by far and away their key player.
2: And part of that is because Martin Guptill just hasn't come off at all. hasn't scored no, a half century well. since the start of the tournament. McCullum said he he's the one that really sets the tot- he d- he decides what totals New Zealand can get, and then Williamson has to adapt to how to how he goes. But the way Archer and Wokes bowl with a new ball at Edgbaston. Guptill's not going to have it any easier than he's had well he's going to have it harder than any other stage in
3: the tournament possibly no but you know the thing about form and all that is, Guptill's a very good player we've seen Guptill score loads of runs, him score loads of runs against he has England. that run out
2: going round and round his head as well to, to yep. get Dhoni and effectively win that game for them
3: yes I mean, you just don't you just don't know do you we speculated so much throughout this World Cup and I for one have been wrong about almost everything I was wrong about the likelihood of the pitches yielding loads of runs. I was wrong about uh, the West Indies, who I thought would push for a place in the semi-final. I've got the other three right, but I didn't. Have, weirdly, I didn't have Australia in my semi-final line-up. So I think quite a few I people was, didn't. Oh Well, right, but I was wrong about Australia. I was wrong about the West Indies. Wrong about pitches. I've been wrong about what you should do if you win the toss. It's just the one so who's going uh, to win on who's going to win on Sunday. Then? I, I think there's still time for India to come rocking back. <laughs> um, you They'll know, find the a way, change. won't they? They will find a way.
1: Like the DRS will will, will kind of. You know, we'll play up, or there'll be some kind of administrative uh, glitch. And team and, you know, vira- teams been invited to the final. <laughs> well, Coley
2: was pushing for an IPL-style thing, where the, the person, who, the team who topped the group,
3: got two stages, I like two that. attempts. I know. To, yeah, I mean, I know Bit people, Late in the I day, know, to be know, suggesting it, I, I it know. I know people are saying it's sour grapes and that. But the question I, was put to him as well. Actually. Yeah, yeah it it didn't come out. Like and, it, and, it. It's, and I quite like it because if you have this attenuated process for deciding who's going to be in the top four, you might as well at least make sure that the teams who are fourth, third, second and first are fighting for a reason to be first and second. You yeah. know, not just that you're going to play the fourth best team. I like that as a, as a method, but I, I just think this whole tournament has been surprisingly unpredictable. I think we thought that Sri Lanka were abysmal and, and they probably were, but they came surprisingly close to qualifying. I think we thought that Pakistan were hopeless after a couple of weeks and actually once they realised what their best side was, they then went on a winning streak, won the last four. We thought New Zealand were really good and then they went on a massive losing we they streak. Very good. We thought England <laughs> And were hopeless and then there was no way that they could beat three of the teams above them and then they have done that with, with some ease in actual fact hmm. so I don't know obviously on podcasts like this we we're expected to make predictions but I'm extremely wary of doing it now because I've just been proved an well, idiot What's the
2: advantage of doing a daily one though you can just move on to the next <laughs> one and, and forget what you said um, if New Zealand Arter Turn over England on on Sunday. How are they going to do it? What's what's the is it just the blueprint that they had against India that you basically if they bat first they don't necessarily aim for a particularly massive total and then just hope that their bowlers can restrict England?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I can't really look past the the new ball as as, yeah. as what's going to do it to them. Um, I mean, you talk about matchups. I think Lockie Ferguson against Owen Morgan's yeah. a huge one because Morgan's short ball. I mean, it, it, whether it's a thing or it's not a thing, you know, people are making it a thing now, uh, and you know he's going to get a barrage. And if if England kind of if England bat first and it's 10:30 and sort of Bolt is you know Bolt and Henry are kind of charging in and and they get you know 10 for, 10 for one 10 for two, it's suddenly it's it's anybody's game. That's yeah. and what we've seen in, in certainly a lot of the, the recent games that the first five six overs are, are proving so decisive and. Like the same in the 2015 final, actually, with McCullum getting bowled by, cleaned up by Stark. Those those early uh, skirmishes can set the tone in, um, in, in a game that, that big. Yeah. yeah.
3: So, I mean, you, you can sort of lose a game, can't you, at five for three? I mean, that's sort of when India lost a game and they lost Sharma and Kohli early. And Australia yesterday, in retrospect, 14 for three, wasn't it? That that meant that they had to bat in a certain way. Um, and England had really won that game, despite the nervousness and agitation that goes with England being in a semi final. But you can also win a game the other way, which is the way England have done it when, with their batting, which is to be 120 for none. It'll be fascinating to see none. how Roy
2: Besto go at mm. go, at but where well, they are prepared to sit in because they're both in such fantastic form, it must be tempting just to just to keep going.
3: Yeah, but I think the other part of it is look, they know that New Zealand have got not quite the support bowling of other sides, so they know that there are pickings to be had. If you see off bolt bowls quite a lot of a long spell first up, often bowls six overs first up. Yeah. So that makes it a little bit more awkward because they don't want to lose those power playovers to Bolt. But if he's not making inroads, then that is a huge headache for Williamson because Santon is not a great turner of the ball. And England's batting against spin has been absurdly good. I mean, they destroyed the Indian spinners yeah. at Edgbaston. Uh, I know Steve Smith's not a perfect example, but Lyon and Smith yesterday, when Lyon came on his first ball, yeah. Roy hits him for six. There's no looking at him. Uh, he's hit. Steve Smith for three sixes in a row the first one was nearly caught at long on it didn't stop him so there's a fearlessness about the way they they'll play Santner as well and then Jimmy Neesham you know so the batsmen have actually got more of an incentive to dig in in a curious kind of way against Bolt because they know what's to come I think Ferguson is key in in
2: that as, as you say that that Morgan matchup also when England beat New Zealand in the group stage game Ferguson wasn't fit for that game Southie played his first game in the tournament and was nowhere near his best. I mean, yeah, just looked very, very hittable And New Zealand looked flat in those mid overs, but that's what Ferguson's given them all day for this tournament. That when Bolts generally taken wickets at to the top, Henry as well, Ferguson comes in with that kind of blast in the mid overs, and, and generally has picked up wickets.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we will find out what Morgan and and this team are made of if if he wins the toss, because you, you can you can lose a game, you can lose a final in the first ten overs. If you tw- if you're twenty for four, that's it, forget it. Yeah. But equally, you win the toss, you bat, you score three thirty, you, you win. And if if that's what they, if, if that's what Morgan does, if he wins, if he wins bat first, the safe option is to put them in, see what a good total is, yeah, and then try and chase it. If he if he if he wins the toss and says, all right, go out, get three fifty, and and win the World Cup, we'll we'll kind of. Know that their, you know, their their fearless attitude is, is is something that they're prepared to carry through into a World Cup final. That's that's really the test of it, isn't it?
2: It is, and and it would be consistent to to say we're going to put the runs on the board with what England done for the last yeah. four years. And and Morgan does does stick to his guns generally. I, I mean, it, it, he, he, a lot of, it's not just hot air with Morgan. It's it's thought through.
3: I also think that there's it's easier to be fearless weirdly in a final than a semi final because I think. For the England players, this is about fulfilling your potential was to be at Lord's, was to go through the whole journey. Um, There are other bits that go with that, like free-to-air television, it being on Channel 4, and all that sort of stuff. Once you're at that final, then I think it's easier to convince yourself to go for it. The fear is going to come in in a semi-final, and I think they got a bit fortunate that Australia won the toss. They got those wickets, and that meant that they didn't really have a chance to be tested, their their fear to be Mm -hmm. tested. Now they're there... I think they'll say to themselves, "Well, look how we chase that down. You know, we did that through aggressive batting after the first ten overs. Um, we got there before against India by really going for it at Edgbaston and taking out their their spinners." I would be surprised if they don't come out and and go hell for leather on Sunday.
1: Well, I was interestingly, I was talking to Steve Waugh earlier earlier this week. <laughs> Massive name drop there, yeah. <laughs> um, but he he was talking about the '99 experience because obviously they came through an incredibly draining semi-final. Uh, against South Africa at Edgebaston, and he was saying that rather than it kind of mentally tiring them out, they felt so much relief at winning that semi-final. And South Africa, I think, had beaten Pakistan sort of eleven times out of thirteen previously. They think, right, well, with we're, we're actually through the tough part now. Getting getting here was a tough part, and now all you got to do is just play play your natural game. And it took a lot of the pressure off coming through the semi-final, and they could they could go into that final against Pakistan with a kind of abandon a professionalism you know that that had been Lacking, I think, in in the sort of the slightly sketchy progress to the hmm. final.
2: I said at the start of this tournament, slightly tongue in cheek, that the worst thing that could possibly happen is that England arrive at the final having not lost a game or, or tournament. Uh, and actually, now I feel reassured by those those blips against Sri Lanka and Australia, and obviously Pakistan yeah, earlier. Man. That it feels, it feels. I mean, this could all be people to be absolutely wrong, but it feels like they've kind of got that out of their system.
3: Yeah, well, there've been different losses, which has been really helpful as well. They've not lost in the same way each time. They lost to Pakistan really through poor fielding. I mean, they let Pakistan get just 20, 30 runs too many, and even then, when they were chasing it, they probably should have won. They lost wickets when they were closing in on the chase, so they were they were come out of that game not feeling too bad. So they said, you know, if you, we catch our catches, if we you know actually feel the way we can field, then no sides getting that score then against Sri Lanka they lost through timorousness through not approaching that target with anything like the verve and gusto that they have for the last four years and for the other parts of this tournament so they're able to say to themselves well that was a bad idea yeah so you've got a different lesson to learn and then against Australia well sometimes there's not a lot you can do if someone fires in in swinging Yorkers like Stark did at Stokes um you know the short ball that got rid of Morgan he wasn't scared of it he just just too big at him and went too fast Mm. sometimes you give credit to your opponent, and you also say to yourselves, "Well, we didn't when we had the new ball; we didn't bowl full enough, so we didn't make the best use of the conditions that we had." So, you, you know what I mean? There's the different learning points, yeah. and they've got a muscle memory of what does work. So, I think they'll have a great deal of clarity of mind. I just note that all of this time we're talking as as if it's it would be a good thing if England win the World Cup, and I sort of understand why from our listeners' point of view. But I also think that for a lot of the country now, having got to this final, being typically English, it's not really about winning anymore. Now they've, they've got the final and they're up against New oh, Zealand. It is now, Some if people England are just suddenly realizing there's a cricket World Cup going on. Though. If you lose to New Zealand, though, that that is not humiliation. And sport is really about the avoidance of humiliation, in my experience. Yeah. You know, if you support a football team and your you rivals, or let's say you know your Sheffield Wednesday, you don't feel too dreadful if you lose a, a cup final to Walsall. You feel absolutely devastated if you lose to Sheffield United and you can't bear it. And similarly, if England were playing against Australia in the final and lost, that would be yeah. unbearably painful. But sort of losing to New Zealand—that's I mean, why they could lose that is why they could lose but also it's why I, I don't think English fans would go oh no we've blown our chance and then be racked buy it forever English fans
2: perhaps not but we do want these these new fans who were apparently getting and well, if few might tune yeah. into Channel 4 they're not going to remember England losing to New Zealand they might remember England winning a World Cup final the,
3: the, yeah that's if we honestly think that one game what do you think one game of free-to-air television is going to transform the landscape of
1: uh, cricket watchers let us believe <laughs> okay. I don't even know what I mean I, I can't remember the last time of what I saw anything on more four have you seen more four like that's where they're switching yeah. Two more for when the the, the Grand, on, the Grand yeah. Prix starts. Are people going to switch with them? I mean, most people just sort of, most people just kind of go and make a cup of tea and forget about it,
2: right? I guess it depends. That, what time's that happening? I guess it depends a bit on the match. About, situation. about one o'clock.
1: Okay. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's an argument. that... Sorry, I mean, what one one part? There's an argument that on a global perspective. The best thing that could happen is, is for New Zealand to win this because if, if England win it will be I think one, two, three like six, seven tournaments in a row that have gone to one of the big three and for, for New Zealand who are uh, of the kind of the, the ten full members of the ICC, the smallest by population to, to not just reach two consecutive cup, you know, World Cup finals but actually win one would be an incredible shot in the arm it would be an incredible yeah. two fingers to to the big three and it would in many ways be the, the best story of all Oh, well, yeah.
3: I mean, there's no way you're going to tell me that the the entirety of the world, with the exception of England cricket fans, wants New Zealand to win. I mean, that is
1: definitely the case. That's not what England are for, is it? No, no.
3: It's, it's certainly not. It's not for being the neutral's favourite.
1: Well,
2: one man who definitely wants New Zealand to win is uh, Andrew Alderson, Kiwi reporter, who I caught up with earlier for his thoughts ahead of the final. OK, Andrew, so we didn't get a chance to catch up after the uh, semi-final win over India. So let's just quickly take you back to that. Um What an incredible match. When you came back on that second day, could you foresee what was going to happen there?
0: Look, I I think there was faith to a degree, but not to that degree. I mean, you just would not expect uh, New Zealand to have India. Look at that. Indian batting lineup: Uh, You know, K.L. Rahul, Rohit Sharma, Virat Kohli, and all back in the dressing room, five for three. It was just, uh, well, a dream come true for New Zealand cricket fans, Joe, to be fair. I mean, I think that's, uh, and then it was, what, four for 24 shortly afterwards. You had that Jimmy Neesham one handed catch, which probably hasn't got the kudos it deserves because it was yeah. been uh, overshadowed by the later Guptal run out at, uh, and, and even, even the steepler that Williamson was under to catch uh, the inform. Ravindra to data, uh and they were all just such key moments and putting together what I would say was the best New Zealand performance of the tournament
2: I saw a nice thing on Twitter which I think I don't know where it appeared in the New Zealand Herald but it was a uh... A yes, we cane Doesn't really work so much when it's a spoken word. But you know the Barack Obama thing in, in the New Zealand Herald with a picture of Williamson. Um look, that was our that was our esteemed publication, Joe. So thought, we are rather proud of that. I thought that was the case, Andrew. It's perfect. It's to kind of summed up all very very nicely indeed. Um, I just wondered what what has the reaction been back like home? How has how the whole thing been received?
0: Oh look, it's it's frenetic back home, Joe. Uh, just hearing from various sources. I'm you know, talking to you know, various elements of the media, also family and friends. It's uh, starting to re- you know, pick up enormous momentum uh, from what we've uh, been hearing, and I just think that uh, yeah, it was a similar sort of scenario to, to 2015 with uh, with what happened uh, with you know, Brendan McCullum leading the side uh, in the manner that he did, that uh, robust. Demeanor that he had, but this is very much, I think, in probably Kane Williamson's image. They've, they've yeah. gone about it quietly. They've, they've had a very me- measured and um, you know, just uh, an approach that's almost gone under the radar in many respects. Uh, but this time, but as sure as uh, it, it's, it's heated up at home, that's for sure. And, and just getting some of the, the numbers back from work, it's, it's certainly uh, people watching, listening, and, and reading about it uh, as much as they can.
2: Obviously, the time difference is a bit tricky over there. Um, the final will be what in the early hours of. Sunday night, Monday morning. So people have work to go to the next day. How, how do you think people are going to be uh, taking that final in? Do you think there'll be people taking days off work on Monday? Is, is is there kind of allowances in the New Zealand culture for sporting events like this?
0: Well, it's funny you should mention it. There's been quite a big trend, actually, already. and There's been a few stories of uh, employers basically saying, look, don't worry about coming to work too early uh, on the Monday. Brilliant. Just to make, make sure that you uh, you enjoy it and uh, just soak it all up. And I think it's a great attitude, really. It's the... It's a bit of a one-off occasion, and, and there's plenty of cricket fans in New Zealand, and there's plenty of uh, sports fans in general who will tune in for the cricket, who perhaps don't watch it all the time, but like to to dip in and out. And on this occasion, they'll be dipping in, but they'll probably need some cheese on toast. They'll probably need to boil the <laughs> kettle uh, and make sure, or you know, at least they can get some coffee in them, and make sure that you know, they get the duvet. Bring like, maybe do bring the duvet out to the lounge and, and tune in.
2: With the All Blacks, obviously dominate the sporting landscape in in New Zealand, and, and rugby is. The number one sport, but when the cricket team does something like this, does a World Cup final in cricket can it compare to a rugby World Cup final? H- has it engaged the, the country in the same manner? Oh, I would argue
0: almost more so, Joe, on really? this occasion, because it's a rarity, yeah, rarity. Yeah, you know, cricket is the summer game, rugby's the winter game in New Zealand. Rugby's the number one game by some distance, but it's the I think it's the disparity, and that, that, and it's not so much in recent years because New Zealand's performed pretty consistently on the cricket stage uh, through the hesson era and now into the Stead-Williamson era. But I still think that there's an expectation with rugby that it will happen regardless. Whereas this is almost seen as a a, a, a real bonus or a, a reward, in in many ways for sports fans that, they, that they've managed to to get into this final and to do it uh, back-to-back World Cups is uh, is pretty uh, is pretty extraordinary. So I think there's, there's certainly um, you know being reflected on in 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 in, in, in great spirit.
2: Uh, one of the lovely things about World Cups is it can kind of catapult sort of. Everyman cricketers or unknown cricketers to another level of sort of of stardom. Are, are people like Jimmy Neesham and Lockie Ferguson are they now getting coverage across the press in a way that they never would have done before? Look, I think that's true too, and that,
0: uh, that they, because I think each of these players pretty much performed in some capacity to get them to this point, and they've you know established themselves in the team. They perhaps even before the start of the tournament weren't that established if they if they hadn't come into some form. But th- but those are great examples of players who pulled their weight and, and, and probably got the team to where they have and I think it's the case, too, that you know there's, there's a wiliness, there's a tenacity within that New Zealand team, and I think it's built through the, the camaraderie, and they're just a good uh, overall team, if you like, albeit there are a few stars there in the form of you know, obviously Kane Williamson, Ross Taylor and you know, Trent Bolt, but, but others have come around to support them, and I think probably you know, for Sunday's final, if Martin Guptill could get up, we've seen that outstanding run-out he was able to produce in the semi-final, but if he was able to get up and, and score some runs, that would be a wonderful uh, way to, to, to cap off the tournament for New Zealand.
2: Um, mentioned this on the podcast after the uh, New Zealand year game that it struck me the reaction of the players after that victory there was obviously a celebration but it was relatively muted, particularly from Williamson and Taylor, who have, were in the final last time. It, it really kind of, it, it struck me that this was, for them, it's a job half done. Obviously, they've beaten one of the tournament favourites, but that doesn't necessarily mean all that much unless you go on and, and win the thing. Is, have you got that kind of impression from being in and around the group?
0: I have. I think that there's very much a, a feeling of unfinished business, given what happened in Melbourne. I think it was the manner in which it happened, too. They were almost shell-shocked with that McCullum, the Yorker that stark delivered to McCullum in the first over, the off-stump, and that pretty much took a lot of the momentum out of the campaign. It was hoped, of course, that McCullum would would go on and play one of those cameos at the top, and, and that would give New Zealand the momentum after going into bat. But uh, I think that this time there's perhaps more realism about it and, and, and pragmatism. They know they have to do a lot of hard yak at first because last time, of course, they were going through the tournament, they were on a roll, uh, an unbeaten roll. Uh, this time it's been a bit more ebb and flow, but uh, they've, they've got to the right place at the right time. And I think that you know, the extraordinary thing would be, too, having lost those three games in a row, to be able to turn around and produce the performance they did against India, uh, that, that bodes well. But having said that, England as well. I mean, they, they've done superbly well, especially with that, uh, that effort. Just the juggernaut, pretty much rolling over Australia yesterday.
2: Yeah, that was a pretty awesome performance from England when when they needed it. Um, look, if, England, if New Zealand are to beat England in this match, how do you think they're going to do it? What's the What's the blueprint? Is it going to be something similar to to India, not to try and go for that big big total, and but just try and restrict the opposition?
0: Oh, I think so. I think they'll just do exactly the same thing if if they were to win the toss. I suspect I can't imagine that the the pitch at Lords would be too uh, would be too much of a minefield. I think the idea would be to bat, uh, get some runs on the board, and put pressure on again. And I think with what we saw from the bowling attack and the fielding effort uh, from that uh, match at Manchester at Old Trafford, uh, they're, they're definitely capable of doing it.
2: And just finally, you're you're at Lords right now watching New Zealand train for <coughs> the. For the big day. Uh, I was around the team at the start of the tournament and they seemed just incredibly relaxed. Is that still the case now with this big match ahead of them?
0: Very much so Joe and I think one of the key things there and one of the themes across the, the tournament has been this uh, this football volleyball that they play and it seems to almost occupy them I mean they'd almost be an Olympic team by now <laughs> the way they uh, they're, they're, they're so dedicated to the cause and it seems to be a really good source of, of camaraderie at the start of practice. There's obviously some rivalry going on there between the batsmen and the, and the bowlers and I think it's sort of divvied up and mainly along those lines and I think it's fairly even but that's been uh, I think it's just a good way to switch their minds off from, from the game uh, as a whole um, various times but the, it's, I think it's going to be a pretty light practice today by the looks of things, I think Williamson's already out of the nets which is some indication he's only been in there for about half an hour or so which is pretty light by Kane standards right. um, so I think that they're probably just going to taper up and uh, and look to, to prepare and they might go for a bit more of a training maybe tomorrow but you wouldn't think so, it might be you know fairly low key from here um, but lovely sun at Lords out on the nursery ground. There's, uh, there's, there's there's worse ways to end a living.
2: Absolutely, there are Andrew, and it's all set for a, for a, hopefully a fantastic game on Sunday. I know you've got a press conference to rush to, so thanks ever so much for joining us again. Uh, hopefully we can catch up after a, a thrilling final on Sunday. Oh, I look forward to it, Joe. I mean, I think it's the,
0: the best thing about it, from my mind, is that the cricket's going to ha- cricket World Cup's going to have a new winner. Yeah. and I think that yeah. that's that's really the key for me, and it'll be good for cricket as a whole. And uh, for either of the nations that wins it, but also for the runner-up, I mean, it'll, do a, it'll, be a, it'll be a big boost for the cricket community and probably the sporting community and beyond for, for people's well-being. I think just seeing how people performing at this level. So I hope it's a cracking final uh, in whole in and, and you know, there'll, be a, there'll be that new winner, which is pretty special.
2: I couldn't agree more, Andrew. Thanks so much for joining us and uh, speak to you soon. Lovely, Joe. All right, so those are the thoughts of Andrew. Uh, now we're going to have a kind of... Wider overview of the tournament so far, and each pick out our, our not necessarily best player of the tournament, but our favourite player of the tournament, and also our favourite commentator. Uh, Dan is not allowed to pick himself uh, for this one. Is these it, these it, are the it, rules.
1: If, have you been doing it, Dan? I've, uh,
3: barely. Yeah, I would have drifted, probably, but you would have noticed it you, because you, you'd have watched TV, won't yeah, you? Yeah, it's all on.
1: on, on, on. Yeah, there's vision these days. They, they do it with pictures. Uh yeah. And you actually, you actually see what's happening, even though you're not there. It's
3: so, so these aren't real commentators either. They're just commenters. Because commentators have to tell you what's really happening.
2: Oh, is that the difference? Yeah. Oh,
3: okay. <laughs> All right, Dan. Uh, who is your
2: who's your favourite? Who which favourite players have stood out for you? This, this well, I, I, it's
3: unfair of me, but I want to I want to pick three. So I'll go through quite brief because I, I've chosen the good, which is Shakibal al Hassan, uh, without doubt the world's best all-rounder. And he's got six hundred odd runs, and he's taken eleven odd wickets, he goes at five runs and over. Uh, Bangladesh is a good side, but without him they would they would struggle. Yep. There'd be a there'd be a much, much poorer side without him. But I think this Bangladesh side has sort of been put on the map in a way that previous ones haven't. I think uh, you see them coalescing behind a few big name players, Tammy Mikbal, Mushvika Rahim, but primary among all of those is the fantastic Shaqibar Hassan, who's also hit some of the shots of the tournament. His on driving, is has, has been ludicrous. The bad, mm. I want to go with Gulbuddin Naib. And I say bad advisedly, I love him. I love him for You're the going ambition. You're for him again, are you?
2: It's it. the
3: ambition of his reach. I mean, here, here is a man who uh, was they parachuted in to be captain at the Just last minute. Just been replaced,
2: minute. I believe, today.
3: He hasn't. They've. I
2: think they've gone back to Asgar.
3: Oh, really? Well, what a surprise! it's, it's Rashid. Ra- Rashid in all formats, isn't it? Oh, is it? I
2: saw a tweet earlier saying this is what was going to be announced. So I haven't actually seen the formal well, announcement. I think it's Rashid Khan. Okay. Well, that was cause cause he was T20 get wasn't he? And he's got the whole lot now.
3: Get Asgar okay. back because he did all the team talks. So he's come in at the last minute, uh, presided over a fitful campaign, to put it mildly. There were moments of humiliation interspersed with moments of, of real potential. There were on the verge of beating Pakistan and my moment of the tournament is with Pakistan needing 48 off 5 he brings himself on goes for 18 runs, then brings himself off and then needing to defend 6-7 off the last over, brings himself back on. I mean, that is a triumph of hope over experience <laughs> that I just want to take my hat off to. Uh, and then there's Shaheen Afridi who, had he played from the beginning of the tournament, I wonder if Pakistan wouldn't have sailed through to the, the semi-finals because yeah. they looked fantastic with him in at the end. He can't field and he can't bat, which is another thing I really like about him. But he, he bowls at a nick Extraordinarily magnificent speed, um, 91 mile per hour, fast in swinging Yorkers. He's only theoretically 19, 20 years old. We might, just might, get to see a Pakistan young fast bowler appear in two consecutive World Cups because normally they arrive and disappear, don't they? Rahat Ali, whatever happened to him, yeah. among many others. So you asked for one, I've given you three.
2: And your commentator?
3: Well, there can be only one, Joe. He stands (laughs) head and shoulders above the rest as he dissects the conditions, the moon, the stars and the sun in perfect coalition as he, along with Brian Waddle, has been the voice of New Zealand cricket. If you tell me which Welshman that is, it's of course... That's (laughs) not a bad Jeremy Coney. It's not a bad Jeremy Coney, Joe, not bad. Yes, I absolutely love him. A man to work with, presumably. He threw away the word velocipede the other day. He was describing somebody running between the wickets, and he said, a noted velocipede, and then continued talking. I mean, He described one caught behind as looking like Boris Johnson ushering a flock of geese into an abattoir. I mean, these are metaphors and words that are just uh, beyond, beyond reproach. And he's the loveliest man to work with. He's a very intelligent, um, erudite chap. And he's got beautiful voice and beautiful use of language. And I adore him. And he should be on every broadcast of all things.
1: Yeah, he sounds like he'd be very good on the telly. (laughs) He wouldn't waste his talents on the (laughs) telly. (laughs) Uh, Um,
2: Jonathan, your your player and commentator. uh, I'm going
1: to go for an Asian player as well, actually. Uh... Bumrah, jasper Bumrah. Yeah. uh i think he's he's so compelling he's so good to watch uh it's been a tournament for i mean people talk about the low score relatively low scores whether it's conditions or pitches i think we're we're actually in a golden era of, of fast bowling and, and some of the fast bowling has been just like a- astonishingly good and Bumrah, i think you know it's just about at the top of the pile I mean he's got he's got this kind of this quality to him where uh, first of all he's, he's not just one great fast bowler he's he's three mm. so he's a brilliant new ball bowler he'll, he'll extract whatever movement there is he takes wickets with a new ball he comes back in sort of the middle overs bowls back of a length and dries up the runs and then and then he comes back in the death overs and, he, and he's, he's got this incredible array of, of bouncers and, and yorkers and slower balls so he's, he's got everything all the attributes but what, what he also has now which maybe he didn't have two or three years ago is is the aura and I, and I i never saw joel garner play live in the flesh but but when people talk about joel garner as a one-day bowler he had the, when, when he comes on to bowl as a batting side you would think let's just see him off and boomers and, and i can't think of many other bowlers in world cricket today who you could say this about when boomer comes on you go let's just see him off yeah like three off the over and no wickets is is a decent result like even when Stark comes on you think you know you think you're gonna get one to hit uh who's probably his his closest rival in terms of an, an all format fast bowler and you know and it's, it's the weird action and it's it's the kind of the, the, the weird hoppy run-up. He's, he's a star. He's got star quality. It feels
2: like teams are almost now seeing him off at the death, which is which is a ridiculous place to find yourself in because they just can't hit him. So as you say, they'll take four or five singles in the last five overs and instead target other bowlers instead, which is an extraordinary place to, to find yourself I in. I think
3: your Garner analogy is perfect. It's exactly what it is. I did see Garner in the flesh, and it was a case that you just... You always looked at the number of overs he had left and go, well, two and a half. we get two and a half and over off that, it's slightly different because it's different times. But in terms of Boomer, you're doing much the same. You double it, I suppose. If you get five and over, if you can get your bat on it and get through for singles, you don't ever in your mind's eye know how a batsman's going to hit him for boundaries, do you? You can't see the ball that Boomer bowls,
1: it goes through a boundary. You only hit a boundary off Boomer if he lets you.
2: And he, I mean, he would have taken a lot more wickets in this, in this tournament if it ha- wasn't for the fact that, as you say, teams are seeing him off. What is his record? So he's taken, even so, he's taken 18 at 20 and a comedy of 4.41. That's which when he's bowling stupid. pretty much all his overs in the power play. Mm. Uh, that's and, at pretty, the, and at the back end. And at the back yep. end. That's pretty extraordinary.
1: Uh, and your commentator, Jonathan? I'm going to go for Brendan McCullum. Uh, out, out of my hundreds of hours sitting on the sofa in front of the telly, he, I've, I've actually quite enjoyed the, 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 the telly coverage. And. It's not often you can you can say that. Obviously, it's the the kind of the ICC's pooled feed, and, and you often yeah. get kind of a mishmash. But they really, I think, up their game this time. Uh, and McCollum, some of the kind of analysis segments that he does, which are obviously kind of a takeoff of Sky's Third Man, that kind of thing, have been have been really really good. And I suppose the, the wider point here is is that the the evolution of the white ball game in the last few years is such that there's actually very very few players sorry very few commentators who can still talk about it with with a kind of authority i mean I, I love i love michael holding for example but what on earth does he know about you know bowling a you know a back of the hand slow ball or, or bowling to uh glenn maxwell or, or something like or something like that yeah and mccullum having kind of been in the international game a f- just a, a few years ago he's sort of got that first-hand knowledge which is really you know really invaluable these days and, and he, he conveys it well he's got a genial manner and. And I remember one of his analyses, I think it was one of the Indian batsmen, of the, the different shots that you can play to the same ball. And, you know, pulling that kind of analysis out within a few minutes of, you know, of, of the action actually happening. Uh, I think he's he's one to watch. He's a real star in the making. Um,
2: my player it was actually going to be Shaqib, who I think, if Root or Williamson score a match-winning 100 in the final, then perhaps they deserve player of the tournament. If they don't, I think Shaqib should be player of the tournament. He won't be, because he plays for Bangladesh, and Bangladesh finished, what, eighth in the group stage. So you could argue that he doesn't deserve it but to carry to carry his team in the way that he has batting at number three scoring 600 plus runs taking taking a number of wickets as well and doing it all in a in a very very stylish manner I think he's uh I knew he was a very very good player I didn't know he was quite this good um so he, he's really kind of raised his game Lockie Ferguson was another one I was going to pick out who we've talked about already uh, and on the commentators we've got a Kiwi kiwi trio uh, i was going to go for ian smith who i thought um his calling of the semi-final climax in the indian new zealand game for me i i was really involved in that game i mentioned every episode it seems my dad's a kiwi so i feel like i've got two feet in the final but i thought for me that was right up there with kind of beno05 Baston, ian bishop 2016 eden gardens as obviously emotionally involved in it but also having just enough detachment to do it in a mm. way that wasn't kind of too jingoistic or or patriotic and and actually just painted a picture in a way that to be honest it was, it's was a bit more like listening to radio commentary it was he
3: it. was he was brilliant wasn't he He got that he got it absolutely spot on and simultaneously on the radio because i've I dug out his and i listened to coney's as well and um both of them their voices just ever so slightly cracked yeah Co- coney 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 nearly went did he oh yeah. i haven't heard it, coney's. Was, it was it was beautiful but he but he didn't quite and you so you can forgive it of them don't you think I mean I definitely you could so much more forgive Kiwi commentators getting deeply emotionally invested because of just the magnitude of their achievement in a way that it just wouldn't feel right would it somehow if Sarav Ganguly was getting on the balcony and started yeah. waving it around his head it wouldn't or indeed you know an English commentator it just, wouldn't, it just wouldn't be right really
1: I got the distinct impression he was trying to jinx it he was trying to reverse jinx it in the, in the final overs Ganguly of the, no um uh, Smith. Oh, Smith. I
2: mean Smith well he called India his favourites yeah fa-
1: India, India were favourites and they needed something like 37 off, off 16 balls or something like, are you sure about this but that's
2: what happens when you've lost that many semi-finals as, as New Zealand had um, I know my dad would have been saying exactly the same thing at exactly the same time as well he captured it he captured it beautifully yeah, it was great um so final on Sunday uh you'll be there Dan I will yeah you'll commentate
3: it for uh, I mean you might listen to this cuz it's Australian radio that's worth giving it a go so I'm doing it was wonderful I did the semi final Australia England Australia for SEN radio I got the opportunity to be supremely patronising at the end you know <laughs> it's I a great day to Australia, get there. Australia have come a long way uh, <laughs> they've done awfully well they've probably exceeded their expectations but most you know, improved team award I'm <laughs> like, I, but I'd, I'd like to think that after today that there's a few things that they'll realise that they've got to work on and learn from this England team and maybe come back in four years a bit stronger and hope that they can challenge some of the bigger teams so it. <laughs> it was great fun uh, and I intend to do uh, something similar if, uh, if England do beat New Zealand so it's on SEN radio I urge you to listen because it's where, where commentators are unleashed
2: And Jonathan, do you get a day off being a dad? Uh, big, hopefully,
1: yeah. My accreditation is still pending. Right. I, mean, I, I don't... I don't uh, have, have they have they come through yet? Some of them
2: have, some of them haven't. Oh, Jesus. So. Well,
1: I, I mean, the, when I checked this morning, mine was... was I'd like to think so. Well,
2: Although like they haven't think just think let you into the Oval, so hopefully that... Yeah. This isn't the start of things to
3: come.
1: Well, if not, I'm taking Baby down the pub and we're we're going to watch it with uh, a pint and some pork scratchings. Well, that sounds lovely too. Mm-hmm.
3: So, uh,
1: oh, a winner either way. One
3: thing to remember, though, is that listen out for commentators who are going to try to tread the right... get the lines right because if England do win, and they say in England have won their first World Cup well of course I haven't because women have won it now three well, times well you would have heard me in the intro in fact you won't because I recorded it before you got here right but first, so first World Cup in two years
1: yes exactly <laughs> first
3: World Cup at two first World Cup at Lourdes for two years um, and and making sure that you know you, you get this absolutely spot on the, the men's first World Cup victory in cricket or something like that it's going to be um, keep uh, an eye out If anybody get your gets, tweets in if, if, if they get if it wrong if it goes wrong there'll be a Twitter storm so yeah we've we're all been practising
2: Okay, well, I'll be back on Sunday with Phil Walker uh, and whoever else we can get our hands on at Lords to look back on the World Cup final. This has been the Wisdom Cricket Daily podcast in partnership with Travel Bag, creating holidays packed full of memories since 1979. Thanks, Dan, and thanks, Jonathan, for joining me. A Very pleasure. Much Thank appreciated. You, uh, uh, the Wisdom Cricket Weekly podcast will be continuing beyond this tournament, including regular shows during the Ashes. So do subscribe on Spotify or any of the usual platforms if you haven't.
3: Podcast Network.